Afternoon 12ers, welcome again to Every Nation Rosebank, just to reiterate, if you love God, you love people, you love the city, you're in good company. This is a community of people who love to uh, fellowship together, we're courageous in our community. What that means is that we want to be real, and we want to talk about things that are real uh, we don't want to pretend, and so I really appreciate even that testimony that Malibu is sharing because it's a testimony of it's real. I'm going through, but I'm doing the work, and my faith and my eyes are cast upon Jesus Christ. And even the series that we're going through right now is a series of being real. The soul matters. What's happening in my soul? Um, what's the state of my soul? What am I willing to do about it? How vulnerable, how courageous am I willing to be in order to get the victory that Jesus has for me? As we continue on this series today, we have a real special treat for you. The, the, the focus uh, of, of today, I think we, we, we started focusing on kind of de defining uh, areas around soul matters and, and, and we went into, into uh, uh, um, more of a focus on stress, stress and anxiety. Today, uh, we're going to have a bit more of a focus on areas around trauma, uh, depression, uh, uh, touching into, into uh, suicide. Um, and and the reason we do this is because this is real life. This is the things that people in our circles are facing. These are the things that we are facing. Um, and so it's good for us to engage uh, with courage and with conviction in these areas. So I want to ask you to have open hearts and open minds as we continue to engage in this topic. I also want to ask you to be proactive in seeking ministry. Uh, after every service, we provide uh, opportunity for you to come and receive ministry. People stand with one another, and we believe God to break chains of depression, of anxiety, of suicidal thinking, of whatever that, um, that, 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 that thing might be that is holding you back from achieving true intimacy with Jesus. So I want to encourage you to please um, choose to engage during uh, these sessions. I, um, I'd like to ask you to help me to welcome uh, Uma Muntzigin Dumela, and she's going to minister to us. Now, I, I, I have a real privilege that, that's marked my entire life, um, and, and it's simply this. I've had, I have, I have a heavenly father. I've had few father figures, but God has blessed me abundantly with mothers. And God has surrounded me with mothers. He's loved me in that way. He's surrounded with, with, with mothers. And, and she knows that I regard her as my mother. I call her umama yes. um, when, when, when we engage uh, because I, I, I see that role that she plays in my life. And I know that as she speaks to us today, she speaks over all of you, not only as a professional, she is a professional, she's a clinical psychologist. She speaks over you not only as a daughter of, of, of the Most High who has navigated various instances, and I'm sure she'll share into some of that, but she also speaks as a mother over you who loves and cares for you, cares for your soul. So I would ask you to receive her from that place. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you to all of us. It's so good to see you from this part, because most of the time I'm in front and I don't see what's behind me. Today, I want to talk to you, not as a clinical psychologist. I'll talk a bit as that, but I want to talk to you today as an overcomer, as someone who has fought depression and has overcome it. I want to talk to someone who holds hope for you. And it's, it's a, this topic and this season that we are in in this church, it is amazing for me because I truly believe if we could master the issues of our souls, we can truly, truly be in the presence of Jesus. I find we could be able to really, really get our blessings and get the breakthroughs that we want in our lives. So as I start today, I want us to pray and, um, and really ask the Lord to open our hearts because part of it, I am going to be ministering to myself. He's going to be ministering to me. So Father God, we come to you. 
very humble to your throne this afternoon and asking, Daddy, that you open our hearts. You shift those parts, Daddy, that are still yearning for your touch, that are still yearning for your healing, Maluso Ngoel. Remove the shame. Remove the judgment in our hearts, Father God, of those people that are suffering with mental health. We can be able to embrace them, Daddy. We can be able to support them and give them the love that they deserve, particularly those people themselves who are struggling with mental health, in, uh, mental health that they can you know, love themselves, open themselves to your love, Father God, to be able to be truly and be accepted and be loved, Father God. I pray this, Daddy, in the name of Jesus, that you will bless my mouth, that whatever that comes through this mouth would really be from you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, as I start, oh, I was waiting for someone to move my slides. Sorry, I didn't realize this that I'm actually the one who's in control. So we're talking about depression. We're talking about anxiety. And we're going to talk a little bit about suicide. And I want to say right up front, we are so good at diagnosing ourselves and telling ourselves that, oh, it must be depression. Both of these are serious mental illnesses, and you need a professional to diagnose you. Because there are certain things that we look for, and the amount of time or the length of time that certain things have existed in you or you've experienced them. So don't self-diagnose. Find somebody to diagnose you. So I've done that one. Now, what I want to do is that one of the things I was thinking about, you know, it was not easy for me to prepare this talk this afternoon. I felt the heaviness. I felt the, the, the sadness in my heart because both of these mental illnesses actually are about that. You find that you are, you, you are carrying a load. Things are dark. You, you've got this cloud that you cannot remove. And, I, and, I've, and I've been very conscious lately, even in the work that I do, when I go to see my clients, I find that there's always a parallel process with what's already happening with my clients and what I'm already experiencing. So I know that there are a lot of people, they might be sitting here, or people that you know that are really suffering from these two illnesses. These illnesses uh, is the same as the illness you experience when you have a diabetes, when you have a heart attack, when you have cancer. It's that illness. But it's the illness that most of the time we don't even know that is there because it is in our soul. So I want to salute this church, the leadership, for daring greatly, and I'm stealing this from Brené Brown, for daring greatly and be able to lead in this area, because I know that there are people that are going to criticize us standing here and say, but that's not my understanding of, of depression. That's not my understanding of, of anxiety. Or is this the right thing to be talking about in church? Oh, no, no, that's not what the Bible is saying. We are going to probably say things that are not the right things or not the way you want us to say them. But guess what? We are here trying to be real and trying to address them. So with that, I was reminded, and I was reading uh, Brené Brown, because she started talking to us about vulnerability, and people came so hard on her. And she realized that sometimes it's not the critic who counts, but the men and the women who points out how strong men or women stumble. So let me read that again. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong men stumble, those people who always criticize us. So I want even the people who are struggling with mental illness, who are sitting amongst us, 
who continuously gets judged, who continuously gets discouraged and being criticized for not being strong enough, for not being responsible enough, because people don't understand that there is something inside them that's not allowing them to be the best. So aware the doers of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. The person who is struggling with mental illness, who hasn't taken his life, who is struggling and trying to find a way to deal with what they are experiencing. That's, that's, that's where it belongs. The credit belongs to those people whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who can actually stand and say, I am depressed. I am not coping. I am not able to manage my life. And they can stand and say that who strive violently, who errs, who comes short again and again. They know that I, even if I'm struggling to get out of bed because of my depression, even if it takes so much out of me to go and do shopping, that we, it, we easily get into our car and go to ShopRite. But someone who's experienced extreme anxiety, it's such a big thing for them. But that person gets into their car, or they walk and go and face their anxiety in the midst of us. Who at best knows, sorry, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daringly. What I'm trying to show you is that living with mental illness is not an easy thing. It's not an easy fit because the society does not understand it. So most of the time, you are feeling judged. You are feeling alone. You are feeling misunderstood. So today, as I'm standing here, I'm standing on the shoulders of those people. I'm getting so emotional because there are people who are really struggling amongst us. And we don't even know that. So I'm standing and honoring those warriors who are still amongst us and fighting mental illness. And those that are standing by them and supporting them, even though it's difficult. And even though they don't even know how long it will take. So, I looked in my old um, archive of the information I had, and I called um, SADC, who is the South Africa Depression and Anxiety Group. It's an amazing resource. Um, they're on the, on the internet. They've got amazing, amazing resource in this area. And I don't think we've got the right information of how many people are actually suffering, because people do not come forward because of shame and because people don't even know that they are sick. So this, 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 this information I'm going to share with you is not accurate, but it gives you an idea. So one in six South Africans suffer from anxiety, depression, and this does not include more serious conditions such as bipolar and schizophrenia. Okay? And did you know that most people with depression don't get treatment? And do you know that depression is the most curable mental illness amongst all the mental illnesses that we have? It's the most curable one, but it's the one that is killing us. And currently it is estimated that one in five people will do, will or do, suffer from a mental illness. Why so? Life is tough. 
You know, we need to get to a point where we understand and have a lot of empathy to ourselves to understand that life is difficult. And each one of us are exposed to, be a, to, to these kind of illnesses. One in three women suffer from postnatal depression. Six million people could suffer from PTSD due to crime and motor vehicle accidents. But we know in South Africa how many of us are exposed to crime. Even if you haven't been exposed to crime directly, but every day, I mean, we are so vigilant. As South Africans, every day someone tells you, don't just drive, keep looking in your rear mirror. We are living a life of fear. All these things add up. All these things add up. So I want to locate my talk today to this um, chapter, King, First King chapter 19 and verse 3. To nine. This is Elijah. And you might not be pursued by Jezebel, by a physical human being, but when you go through depression and anxiety, you feel like you are, you are, you are, you are persecuted. On da daily, you are persecuted by something you don't even see and by something you don't know. So Elijah is being pursued and persecuted by Jezebel, and she wants him dead. And if you go to chapter 18, you will see that Elijah is coming from being persecuted by someone else. I mean, how long can you be persecuted and actually not feel depressed and feel like giving up? So I'm going to read with you, and maybe let's stand up and let's read together. So... Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bethsheda in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Herob, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent a night. Thank you. You can sit down. This extract picks up a whole lot of things about depression, about anxiety. There's a huge sense of feeling you are being persecuted. You might not see your Jezebel, but you are persecuted. There's a huge sense of giving up. And I want to say this now, in case I don't say it later. People who commit suicide, they don't want to die. They want to end their pain. They want to end their pain. They've come to a place where there is no turn back. And they cannot see any solution, any hope in front of them. And this is where we come in as a community. Because we can prevent suicide. We can stop suicide. Because we can see. They can't see. The other scripture I, I feel I have to share with you is Ephesians. Um, I think it's Ephesians 6. Sorry, yeah, I think it's Ephesians 6. The arm of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord 
in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can, you can, you, so, so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is so much that we're dealing with. Depression, there's so many things that can cause it. It can be illness. We've had amazing leaders standing here and sharing their testimonies about how their illness caused depression. It can be genetical. So it could be generational. That's why this scripture becomes important, because we have to break. This is a warfare, and we need to be clear that we need to be fighting against this. There's a whole lot of things. There are, there are life circumstances that cause depression. Trauma caused depression. So I thought, let me find people that you might know who've suffered and come out to say, I was depressed. And you've seen Lillian Dube. She, she says, when I suffered from de depression, it felt like Sorry, it felt like I was in this dark, bottomless pit and desperate situation where I even attempted suicide. The most painful thing was that I didn't, I didn't even know what, what I was suffering from. She was being persecuted by an invisible Jezebel. I finally overcame it when I played the role of a depressed nurse sister in the Soul City. I think you guys know the Soul City. And for her, it was a huge release. And this is the thing about depression and why it becomes very deadly. And why it is one of the mental illness that cause a lot of disability. Because it is a disabling thing. The second phase, you might know. And she said, I suffered from anxiety and panic disorders, which is a terrible thing to experience. I went to see my doctor who put me onto antidepressant. They took a while to kick in, um, in which is the most frustrating part. I knew, however, that they would eventually start to work and that I would start feeling better. Here is the myth I want to break. Most people, if they talk to me and they ask me as a, as a, as a professional, and they say, should I take antidepressants? I'm so scared I'm going to uh, be addicted. Would you rather be healthy than really worry about that? Because it is important to take antidepressants. I want to tell you one thing. You cannot be addicted to them. They are there for a reason. And I find most people, they say, or someone says, but I've, been t I've seen somebody taking them for, for 10, 15 years, and they're not getting better. It's because sometimes people are not taking them as they're supposed to be taking them. So you take them, you stop. You take them, you stop. So obviously, they are not going to work properly. But I want to share this because it is very important. If a doctor says you, you should take antidepressants, take them. It's not ungodly. It is important for you because it's going to help the chemical imbalance in your brain to balance. That's when you're going to be able to think. Now, the most critical thing is that you cannot stop taking them without a, a medical advice. Because sometimes getting off the antidepressants is the most worst thing you can ever think. So you need medical person winning you off the antidepressants, but you can actually be weaned off and actually function normally. I'm standing here, and I told you, I'm standing here as an overcomer. I've taken antidepressants. It was not the nicest thing to, to be weaned off them, but I, I stopped taking them, and I've gone back to myself, and my life is fine. So, if we talk about mental illness, they refer to a range of mental conditions, and which 
in a way, they affect your mood, they affect the way you think, they affect the, your behavior. That's why we are calling them illness. You are not well. And you know the most sad thing about it? Because you're not well, people don't see it. And then that's where the judgment comes in. And that's what you do to yourself as well. So if we go back um, to that scripture, for an example, with Elijah, he was afraid. He was running for his life. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Someone who might have seen him, he might just think that he is a tired guy who just needs food, but he was depressed in his soul. So mood disorders are the most common group of mental illness. Depression has been associated with increased mortality due to suicides and has been described as a leading cause of disability. How does one end up being disabled from depression? I think I've said that to you, I've shared that to you, is that it changes your life. You are not functioning. So some of the symptoms is that you've got persistent sadness, low mood, low interest or pleasure. You are continuously tired. You have no energy. That's why people are depressed. They struggle to wake up. They're always sleeping. Um, and so all of these things, they impact your, your concentration. You become very indecisive. Your, your self-confidence shuts down. So if you look at that, you cannot operate as a human being. You cannot make decisions. You cannot actually function properly. And that's why some people actually become completely disabled and their lives becomes completely not functioning. So this is the thing about you as the community because without that angel that said to him, Arise. And before he says arise, he says, the angel touched him. The angel touched him. There is something healing about touch. Because when you are depressed, you're feeling unloved. Because you're not loving yourself in that moment. You are judging yourself. There is something about touch. And then he says, arise and eat. Because one of the things that we know people are depressed, they lose, they, they, they lose weight. They lose appetite. They don't want to eat. Some people, they want to overeat and they gain weight. So those things we look at as professionals, have you lost weight or have you gained weight? So there is something about looking after yourself when you are depressed. You are unable to look after yourself. And he looked and behold, there was his head, at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. We need to be angels to the people around us. So I thought, let me just share with you at a high level some of what we will diagnose as, as these moods. Major depressive disorder. Bipolar. Bipolar has got different types of bipolars, mood disorders, substance-induced disorder. And this is important because when people are depressed, they self-medicate. You start drinking, and you start drinking more. And people become reckless in their behavior. They start doing things they've never done before. And there's other. So there's others that I didn't. That's why I'm saying it is important for you to be diagnosed by a, um, a professional. Anxiety disorder is a category of psychiatric disorders which are characterized by anxious feelings of fear, often accompanied by physical symptoms associated with anxiety. So people not being able to breathe, not, there's physical stuff happening in their bodies. A disorder characterized by apprehension of danger, dreaded accompanied by restlessness, tension, unattached to clearly identified stimulus. 
That's where Jezebel comes. Nothing is making you scared. And so people around you, they keep saying, what's wrong with you? But you know inside, something is pursuing, is, is pursuing you. Disorder characterized by anxiety dreaded without apparent object or cause. And these symptoms include irritability, anxious expectation, pang of conscience. That is guilt. lot of guilt. And anxieties, attacks, and phobias. People scared to go to public places, being scared to talk in public. A whole lot of phobias. But it is, the anxiety is very disabling. It's not allowing you to be normal, to be able to do the normal things that we take for granted. So those are some of the examples. Panic attacks, phobias, obsessive compulsive disorders. And compulsive disorders is people who just get preoccupied. It could be cleaning, keeping things clean, because they're trying to get rid of the anxiety. What's common between these? A study showed that most people who were suffering from depression, they also had anxiety. So imagine yourself having a double dose of disability. Depression is bad on its own. Anxiety is bad on its own. But put together, it exacerbates everything. These are some of the things that I feel that people that suffer from these things is that they feel that there's something wrong with them. So even before you judge them, they've already judged themselves. They're feeling alone, very isolated because nobody understands them. They cannot actually explain what's wrong with them. There's, they're feeling there's a sense of disability of not being able to do the things they need to do. There's a withdrawal, wanting to be alone. They want to end their pain, and they need our help. So I've said this earlier on, touching on suicide, is that people who commit suicide, they don't want to die. They want to end their pain. And he asked that he might die. This is a prophet who in chapter 18 has actually seen God. <laughs> he actually experienced God in the whisper. But here he is saying, God, it's enough. So it doesn't mean when people want to commit them a suicide, they're not godly enough. <laughs> because we think, oh no, they're not praying enough. Yeah. You know, they're not spending enough time with God. Yeah. This is a guy who en has encountered God face to face, and yet he's saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life away. There is nothing in the Bible, guys, that says people who commit suicide are going to go to hell. Let's get over with this judgment. Let's get over with it. It is not our place to judge. Only God is going to deal with that individual. We don't know. That, that conversation is between God and the person. Our job is to love. Our job is to protect. And our job is to prevent people not committing suicide. So, this is this year, 2019. SADC has received 41,800 suicide calls since January 2019. There are people who did not. There are people who did not. So, let's not dismiss the talk. When people say something, I'm going to kill myself, take it seriously. Don't, so before I go to that, uh, to that point, is this is the thing, this is one-on-one. -on -one suicide prevention that I'm giving you. I'm empowering you right now. How do we know that someone as professional really is going to kill themselves? We ask basic questions. Are you feeling like you want to die? Do you think it would be better if we are not alive? If the person says yes, you continue. Do you have a plan? Now, it's very scary if this person is close to you. You might be tempted that you don't want to hear. But this is a life-changing question. 
this is where you can stop and prevent suicide. Because the moment the person says, yes, I do, continue. How would you do that? If they know and they tell you how, when, and how they are going to carry it out, that is a suicide risk. As a psychologist, we put that person on a suicide watch. We, we're very good with holding confidentiality, but at that moment, that's w one of the areas we say, now we have to tell the loved one that there is a problem, that this person is at risk. So it is very difficult to ask these questions because you're scared of what you're going to hear. But I want to encourage you. These are the things that can change lives. Remember that person doesn't want to die. So the other one is because we are so desperate to see our people turn around and being healthy and, and happy again, because depression is an unbearable situation for the person going through depression and the people that are witnessing it. So suddenly we see the person happy. We think, oh, thank goodness, our prayers have been answered. Thank you, Lord. But it might be that person has just made a decision to kill themselves. So it might just be that that person is relieved, he's happy, because they've just come to that point that now I'm done. So do not ignore that change of mood, especially when they've been severely depressed. So this is one of the directors of SADEC. So it says, from the calls we have received to Suicide Helpline, and by the way, my understanding, and I might be wrong, SADEC is the only NGO in this country that has got a suicide helpline. So all the suicide, they, they, they've received the suicide helpline over the last eight months. This is 2019. The main contributing factor for someone feeling suicidal includes relationship issues, financial problems, trauma, but still the main contributing factor is undiagnosed and untreated depression. Take the antidepressants. Go and see a psychologist. Go and see a psychiatrist. Go to the clinic. We need to move from mental illness to mental wellness. This is our spirituality, the hope. You know, that the thing that we hold people that are well is the hope for the people that are not well. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. That's hope. That's the hope God holds for us. So I've already said to you, get help. I'm just trying to get to my, to my notes here because I don't want to miss the most important things I want to share with you guys. Um, so we have a counseling team in this, in this church. If you feel, you, you feel that at the end of the day, it is important for you to get help, but you don't feel safe enough. There are hospitals. You know, um, in 2002, they made it compulsory for psychologists to serve community service. You cannot qualify in this country if you haven't done community service, which was done only by medical doctors before. It takes seven years to be a clinical psychologist. We are professionals, we've been properly trained. Every hospital and every clinic is most likely to have a qualified clinical psychologist who might not be at that time a registered clinical psychologist but has spent seven years learning to help you. Psychiatrists, psychologists, NGOs, NPOs, find these resources and reach out and use them. If you notice somebody, help them to use them. How to help yourself? Exercise. 
It's difficult when you're depressed to actually do these things, but I want to encourage you, the little bit you can, and that exercise is not only the, the physical, exercise spiritually. We have, to, we have to work on our spirituality, build the muscles. I mean, if you go through, um, I brought you a book here, which is actually very interesting. Actually, most people that are in this room have seen Paul Moiring. Do you know that he was diagnosed of cancer when he wrote this book, Kisses from a Good God? He had struggles to understand his own diagnosis. He had moments of darkness, of actually realizing that I have to start the Psalms from the beginning to the end until I can hear God's voice. It is important, guys, to know what is God saying about us. During the worship, when someone said, this is about identity, depression and anxiety, mental illnesses attack your identity. You lose the sense of who you are. It is important to strengthen our spiritual muscles as well as our emotional muscles. This is where our psychologist, our psychiatrist comes in. There's this um, um, script, uh, scripture, the verse I like. He, this is when Peter and John going into the temple and they heal the cripple. Huh? Am I right? So... After they've done this miracle, he jumped to his feet, began to walk. He went with them into the, into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising. That scripture for me, it covers all of those things. He was physically healed, but he was praising. He was praising God. And this is also very important, is that we mustn't lose hope that we've got a God that heals. We mustn't lose hope that we've got a Father, a good, good, good Father who loves us. That by faith, and he, this is what they say when people looking to this cripple. And then he says, by faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. I believe that God healed me. I believe that my spirituality, together with my psychologist and the antidepressants, all of those things healed me. Diet, look at things that actually depresses you. I mean, for me, I gave up co uh, um, coffee a long time ago. Not when I was depressed, but it was something that I realized it just doesn't work for me. What are the things in your life that don't work for you? Socialize, stay connected. This is critical, guys, because these are the people that will notice when things are taking a peer shape. They'll say, Siggy, we're noticing something. I think it's time for you maybe to go back to your therapist again, you know? So stay connected as hard as it is. How to help others. This is important. What do you do? I've already said this. Ask the difficult question. Go in as hard as it is and as scary as it is. Be patient. Hear their story. The fact that you are depressed is not, my depression is not the same as your depression. So I think we're sometimes so eager to help that we don't see people and look at them and hear their stories so that we can be able to help them. Acknowledge them. Acknowledge the pain. Don't be dismissive. Snap out of it. How do you snap? If your arm is broken, how do you snap out of it? It is broken. Don't be judgmental. Oh, you need to be strong for this person and that person. How do you become strong when you are sick? Would you say to someone who's having a heart attack, snap out of it, or be strong for me, you can't die right now? So guys, I thought I must share a testimony, my testimony. And you know, as I said earlier, it was not easy for me to share 
and to prepare for this because it is difficult to talk about these things without actually being vulnerable, without us standing here and showing up to say, don't look at me as a clinical psychologist. Look at me as a human being who is struggling to go through life, who's had these struggles. Each one of us in our lives, you're going to lose someone dear to you. You're going to go through illness. Something is going to bring you to this, and you're going to find yourself in this situation. So in, tw in 2012, in January, just two days uh, before I went back to work, I developed something initially that I thought it was an allergy. I woke up very tired, blocked nose, woozy head. My body was covered in small pimples. I thought, this is an allergy. What do you take for an allergy? I mean, I'm a mother. Every mother, we heal ourselves because we've been healing so many people, you know? You take an antihistamine, eh? But this, I was supposed to be going back to work, but I wasn't feeling well. I had to call in and say I'm not well. And this was a start of a long and confusing diagnosis. A week later, I was still not well. I decided to go to my doctor because I've been doctoring myself, but it's not, it's not happening. And the question was, if this is an allergy, why am I not responding to my antihistamines? She gave me more um, antihistamines and took blood to check what was going on. She was also um, suspecting allergy, and, and we had just got two puppies at home. So she said to me, maybe you're allergic to your puppies. How could I be allergic to those things that were so cute? <laughs> the results came back. Thank goodness I wasn't allergic to my puppies. Um, but I wasn't getting better, and she couldn't find out what was wrong. And the turning point for me, so this continues over a month, and I don't know what's going on. One time, I'm flying to Cape Town on business. As the plane is about to land, my, do you know when your, your ears get blocked and then there's that painful thing? It was in my brain. I was like, what is going on? Maybe I have a brain tumor. We are so good at diagnosing ourselves. I was so terrified thinking brain tumor, and worried about my kids. How can I leave my kids behind? Who's going to look after them? Do you think I did a good job in, in, in Cape Town? I didn't. I was so worried about this brain tumor. How long did I have? What did I not do? Um, and what are the things I needed to do before I die? Seriously, guys. <laughs> We can put ourselves into so many difficult situations because we are so good. And I was so alone in, in this. No one in that whole room knew what I was going through. I was me, by myself, worried sick what was going on. I had to go back home, get home, be a mom, because my kids hadn't seen me for two or three days. I found myself making mistakes at work not being able to concentrate in meetings. I could not sleep. I was miserable. I was irritated. I was shouting at my kids. I was impatient with myself. On top of all of that, I had two very demanding, amazing bosses who had reason to be demanding. Towards the end of February, can you see now? It's almost two months. My unexplained illness was getting worse. I was not finishing a week at work. I had headaches that were completely unexplainable. I had to do something. I was not effective in all areas of my life. I spoke to a colleague of mine and I said, I don't know what's going on. And this was an afternoon where I had to stop a meeting with my team. We were in a meeting, and I was feeling I was just don't know what was going on. And I said to my team, I am not well. We have to stop. But that, mo that afternoon, this is how God works, guys. This is how he works. I had a colleague who was next door to me, and I didn't even know that she could help me. And I said to her, Michelle, I don't know what 
is going on with me. But I've been to my doctors. We've done every test we can possibly do. I need doctors of doctors right now. I need to get to the bottom of what's going on. At that time, my doctor was very expensive. And do you know this guy, you had to make a booking a month in advance. And she said to me, I found a doctor for you, but Nsiki, you have to wait. And, but here's the number. I called. There was a cancellation the next day. Oh, that's my God. <laughs> and I went to see this guy. And he was an old guy, very respectful, who referred to me as Miss Ndumela. And even today, I believe he was sent by God. When he saw me, he was the first person who said to me, Miss Ndumela, you are very sick. I cried. I really cried. Because everybody for two months, even my colleagues, couldn't see that I was sick. I knew that I was not well. He was the first person, and he hadn't even diagnosed me. He looked at me, and he said to me, you are sick. Just that acknowledgement of someone seeing my pain and me being acknowledged that I wasn't losing my mind, that actually I was sick. That afternoon, I don't know, there's a test that I've never done in my life. He called all of his favors. He said to me, we will get to the bottom of this. I spent, I did MRI, I did everything. And he said to me, at the end of each test, ask them to call me. That's why I said he was sent by God. Every time I spoke to him, he said to me, that test cleared you. No brain tumor, no cancer, no this, no that. At the last one, he said to me, this is the last test now. All of the tests we've done now show that physically you are fine for now, but I've redone your, your, your blood tests. I want you in my, in my office the next day. And I did. And he confirmed to me that there was nothing wrong with me. My blood tests were clear. But this man hadn't asked me what had happened in my life. He said to me, your life, your work is making you sick. I'm booking you off right now. And I'm putting you on antidepressants. What he was talking to is that I had lost my brother unexpectedly. I had grief that I had not processed. I had taken my niece we unexpectedly. My dad died three months, four months after my brother. And I had to continue. And my family wanted me strong. And my life, my body was giving up. And so what I'm trying to say to you is that after a lot of therapy, dealing with my grief, my loss, change in my life, and lots of antidepressants, I'm standing in front of you today as someone who has fought depression and who has taken antidepressants, a lot of antidepressants. As a psychologist, I had to go and see another psychologist and bear my soul and be able to kneel at the altar of my father and ask for healing. All these things, they work. We can, we can fight and we can defeat depression, anxiety disorders. There is help for you out there. Thank you.